I've been preaching through a series all of the Sundays I've been here in November on things that I'm thankful for. And today we arrive at one thing in particular I'm thankful for, and that is the payment for sin. Without the payment for sin, we'd have no hope. Without no hope, we'd be in despair. And the world has no hope because they don't know Christ. And so they're uh, hopeless, and yet hope is available. Uh, we, that's what we're all about. The whole reason we exist as believers in Christ after we come to Christ is to tell other people about Jesus, to tell other people how they can know Him, what it's like to know Him. We're a family of faith here at Five Forks, and that's just a tremendous fellowship together. If you're a guest with us today, we hope you don't stay a guest. We hope you stick around, stay here, become part of the family. I did, <laughs> and I love it here. I, I'm getting to know everybody's names, and it's exciting to get to know you as well, and where you're from, what's, what's happened in your life. I just want to know everybody. So um, maybe I should do this preaching thing first. And, you know, so we'll visit later. Uh, payment for sin. There are three passages that I want us to look at today that I think help us understand this subject. Um, it is the most crucial subject for us because our, our disobedience to God starts with a nature that's opposed to God from birth. Uh, we are conceived in sin, the, the psalmist David, the psalmist, said, uh, we are sinners by nature. If you don't believe it, we'll sign you up for the nursery. From the, from the beginning, there's a rebellion, and they try to control you, and that's the way it is. We know it. We know it well, but there had to be a way for that to be remedied. And I may say something surprising to you uh, towards the end uh, and so we just hang on for that because uh, it shouldn't be surprising, but it might sound like it. It may even sound like it's wrong. But by the time I say it, you'll say, oh, okay, that's not wrong. That's right. So hang on. That was a commercial for later's sermon. Uh, we're in Isaiah 53, verses 3 to 6. And I'm learning to use the clicker, clicker here. There it is. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried, and yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgression, transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. There we go. Help me out, brother. There we go. And then very familiar verse, verse 6. All of us like sheep have gone astray, each one, of, each one has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Now this passage was some 700 years written uh, under the inspiration of God uh, by his spirit, by Isaiah the prophet, speaking 
of one that would come to pay for our sins. Now, 700 years before Jesus came to this earth, now, Jesus came to earth, but he was in existence a long time before that. As a matter of fact, there's never been a time that Jesus didn't exist. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, and there was not anything made that was made except it was made by Him. And that's in John chapter 1. And in Colossians chapter 1, it says of Jesus our Lord, that all things were made by Him and for Him. So He was in existence a long time before this. As a matter of fact, He superintended the writing of this passage. The greatest description of the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that Passion Week we call it, where he was crucified and buried and rose from the dead, that description is in Isaiah 53. Before crucifixion was even invented, it was described very well in this passage. I could go on in this passage, but I chose these, passage, these verses in this passage to talk about the prophecy of the payment for sin. There had to be, someone had to take our place. Uh, the best of us, and we're not going to have a contest who the best of us are. I'm just going to go ahead and cut to the chase. The best of us are filthy, rotten sinners compared to the perfection of our Lord Jesus. So we're all bad. So if you came here today expecting to find good people, oh, I'm sorry. We're all just terrible. Now, we're terrible, and compared to one another, we may not think we're all that bad, but we're really bad, really bad. And I knew that before I got here, and you probably should have known that about me before I got here. And we're all just helpless without Christ. But with Christ, there's a forgiveness and a transformation that takes place in which He makes things happen in our lives where we become good because His goodness comes through us. Where we love one another, pray for one another, care for one another, care for people we don't even know, and do what we can for people and love people to Christ. It's an amazing transformation. Some of you were so terrible that people that grew up with you wouldn't recognize you right now because Jesus changed your life. That's what it's all about. It's about a changed life. So Jesus had to take our place. And that's what I want to talk about today because I'm thankful. I'm thankful for Jesus paying the price for my sins and for yours. I'm thankful that He... It, he came just for the purpose of dying. We're getting ready to celebrate Christmas. Boy, won't we have a great time doing that. But it's all about Jesus coming to this earth to pay the price for our sins. He didn't stay a baby in that manger. He went to the cross. And He didn't stay on that cross because when He paid the price for our sins, God the Father said, Amen, the, the payment is accepted. And Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day. Amen? Amen. That's something to celebrate. We sing about it. We shout about it. We talk about it because that is the most important thing. Without the resurrection, there's no hope at all. Without the crucifixion, there's no payment. You could not pay for your sins. As a matter of fact, if you had to stand before God at judgment to pay for your own sins, you would come up short. For all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We couldn't do it. That perfect payment from a perfect life, from a loving Savior. Well, Pastor, we know all about that. We know about that. Well, good. Well, I'm glad you know about it. I'm going to tell you more and more about it. As a matter of fact, every Sunday I'm going to preach the same thing. 
Everything is centered in Christ and who He is and what He's done for us. Now, we'll learn a lot of things as we go through different parts of the Bible. But it always comes right to where Jesus was crucified for us. That payment. I'm so thankful to God for that payment. The next passage is, reiterates what we've just talked about. It's 1 Corinthians 15, the great resurrection chapter. You might know 1 Corinthians 15 as a resurrection chapter. But look what he says in the beginning. Paul says to the Corinthian church, Now I make known to you, brethren, the, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to, to you, unless you believed in vain. Now what he's saying is, I preached the gospel to you, and it's what you stand on, that is, unless you believed in vain, with emptiness, you did you just pretended to believe. You didn't really commit your life to Christ. You just said you did. If you really believe, this is what you stand on. And what is the gospel? What is he talking about? Verse 3, he says, There we go. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Now, we just read Isaiah the scriptures, the word of God, it talked about this payment, the iniquity of us all was placed on him. Who is, who is him? Who is he? Christ, the anointed one, the Lord of all. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, for our sins. Every thought, every action that is opposed to the will of God and what God would have you think or say, all placed on Jesus. As a matter of fact, he became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So, in essence, when Jesus died on the cross, He became a sinner. Never having sinned, He took all of our sins on Himself and became sin. He became guilty of all the sins of humanity just by becoming that sacrifice for us. And when He struggled in the garden of Gethsemane as He was praying, Lord, may this, uh, Father, may this cup pass from me. If there's any way this cup can pass from me, what was he concerned about? Was he concerned about the, the, the pain of crucifixion? Many people had been crucified and had gone through that painful process of dying and that hideous way of being crucified. It wasn't just a physical pain. The thing that concerned Jesus the most was there was coming a moment in which he was going to take sin on himself. And that was unbearable. Perfect God, perfect humanity was about to experience sin. Not just a sins of one person's lifestyle, but every person. The sin of every person was about to be placed on him. And that's why he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood and the pressure of knowing that He's about to take the sins of humanity on himself. And I'm so grateful that he didn't back out. I'm so grateful that he took my place on the cross. I'm so grateful that he took your place on the cross. I'm so grateful that today we can stand here and sit here and celebrate God's mercy towards us and say, thank you, God, for loving me so much that you gave your only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I'm happy about that. That's good stuff. And that he was buried. And that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. It's amazing. 
This plan was from the beginning, before God created the world. He had this plan. Now, if you try to figure it out, you're going to strain something. But go ahead, take a shot at it. If you get it figured out, write it down. I think he's past, he's past figuring out, don't you? I do. First John chapter 2. Well, I, I meant to refer to the... Uh, well, I will. I'll refer to it now. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We have an advocate. I underlined it there for us so we could look at it. And the word advocate, and I put it in your bulletin, there's a paraclete. It's a Greek word, means a parakletos. It means someone who is called alongside someone else. Someone who's called alongside to help because you need help. Interestingly enough, for those who are Bible students and like to study the Bible and like to understand what the Bible says, this very word is also used when Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to send you another comforter. The word comforter is used there, or another helper, some translations say, another helper. It's this advocate. It's this parakletos. Jesus is called the advocate. He's going to send another one who will represent him, be the advocate, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Son is the advocate. The Spirit of God is the advocate, this paraclete to come alongside and help you. When do you need this advocate? When you sin. I know it's a shock. You pray and say, Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. Come in, to, come in and take over my life. You surrender your life to Christ. One day, the next day, you've got some problems. Now, I don't know how many of you thought when you prayed to receive Christ, everything was going to just work out perfect. Well, eventually it will, but I remember. I, I'm, I'm a quick learner and a slow learner all at the same time. It just happened. I was received Christ when I was 16 years old. The, the old Charlotte Coliseum, you know, I don't know what they call it now. I haven't been there in a while. But the old Charlotte Coliseum, 1977, I went to a crusade there. I didn't know what a crusade was. I found out. I sat up in the very top of the, as far as you can get up in the top there to watch what everybody was doing. They started singing. I thought, well, okay, this is singing. I've heard singing before. This is great. They started praying. I said, okay, this is, I, you know, I, we didn't go to church. So it was all new to me to some degree, but then this man got up and started preaching. He started preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, started explaining how to know Christ, and I began to weep. I understood that God loved me, and I understood that I needed Christ. The things that I've been trying to figure out, the things that I've been looking for all of my young life, I was 16, but I had sense enough to know that was it. That's exactly what I need Jesus Christ to come into my life. And I prayed and asked Jesus to come into my life that night. And uh, the crusade wasn't over with. Uh, that was on a Tuesday night. Wednesday night I went back for the second uh, time that I went to the services there. And, and music, it sounded a little sweeter to me. And, and I understood a little more when people were praying. But I didn't know much at all, obviously. I didn't know the difference between the Old and New Testament. I didn't know hardly anything. But I knew something had happened to me. And then that 
that night. I had the whole 24 hours to experience what it was to be a Christian. And in that 24 hours, I'd already messed up. So I went down again. And, you know, when going down was down. If you're in the top of the Colosseum and you go down, that's down. And I went down again. I had to talk to another counselor again. The first counselor probably didn't understand anything I said because I cried the whole time. But Jesus came into my life. I can't hardly handle that. But the next, I said, I got some questions here. You know, things still aren't quite the way they're supposed to be in my estimation. I'm not, what? And he began to explain to me, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, what does that mean? That means when you get in trouble, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you have somebody who would stand in your place and help you. Somebody who would come alongside you and pick you up. I needed that. You know, you get angry at someone and you say something you shouldn't say. You say, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have thought that. I shouldn't have felt that. Jesus will come alongside of you by his spirit. and He will help you forgive. He'll fix your language. Help you talk like you're supposed to talk. Teach you to be quiet when you're supposed to be quiet. That's what he does. That's what he does. Now, some of us are having a hard time learning it. I'm just confessing your sins, that's all. <laughs> Anybody talks as much as I do, we're going to have problems. You, you quiet folks make me nervous. But I want you to know, Jesus promised. He promised that he would be there for us. You see, when he paid for your sins, when he died for you, it was once and for all. And when you receive Christ into your life, you're saved. I'm talking about completely saved and set apart by God forever. So, well, I don't feel like it. Well, I hope you don't go by your feelings. You are, you are a mess if you go by your feelings. You better go by what God's Word says. Verse 2. Now, that's the paraclete. Verse 2 of 1 John 2, 2. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for, the, for those of the whole world. Propitiation. It's an everyday term. You hear it all the time. <laughs> you never hear this word except in church. And you hardly ever hear it in church. Uh, because there are a lot of people preaching today that don't preach on this subject. They've removed sin from the discussion. They've removed that there needs to be a payment for sin from the discussion. So you would never bring up this passage. But God's Word brings it up. God's Word is centered in this subject for humanity, for all of us. The propitiation. And I am saying it correctly. <laughs> I practiced. <laughs> There's another word. Well, this is the translation. Propitiation is the translation. Well, then what in the world is the word if that's the translation? That's the way I think about it. Is there not a better way to say this? Well, God's Word is perfectly put together. Every word is perfectly placed and every sentence and phrase perfectly located where it's supposed to be. I believe that with all of my heart. So with all of my head, I try to listen to what God's Word says. This is the word helosmos. Now, does that help you? If you're having trouble with propitiation, let's just say helosmos. Now let's move on to the next subject. No, that this is the subject. So why would I say that? That word means satisfaction. 
So really? Now what does that mean? It means that you and I, our sins had separated us from God, separated us from God, and we were at odds with God. We're enemies of God, the Bible tells us. Enemies of God. You, oh, I, I've talked to a lot of people who will say, you know, I'm, I'm not a Christian, but now I love God. I say, you're not a Christian, but you're very confused. How can you love God and hate God? Because Jesus is God. Now, there are not many gods. God made it simple. There's only one. There's only one door to heaven. His name is Jesus. Pick door number one, door number one, or door number one. You got it? There's only one. God made it simple and the world confused it. Many thousands of gods, some religious groups believe the thousands of gods. And they worship false gods. Most people worship the God in the mirror. You know, I'm just a good person. I'll do it myself. Thank you. I'll just see how it works out after I die. Well, I got a few words for you on that one. You might want to check, check out before you die what it's going to be like. So well, nobody knows. I beg your pardon. I know somebody who knows. Now, I don't know everything, but I know somebody who does. And I've been hanging around with him a lot. His name is Jesus. He knows everything. Better stick with him. When he says something is true, you better say amen to that. If he says it's like this, you better believe it. And that's where I camp out right there. If you don't camp out there, you're in trouble. The bears are coming after you. They're going to eat you alive. This means that God, in all of His holiness and justice, by His very nature, has uh, His wrath aimed at our sins. And you being a sinner are a child of God's wrath. That's what the Bible says. His wrath abides upon the children of disobedience. And that's all of us. Until that day when you say yes to Jesus. And then that payment that was made for your sins is now credited to your account. You were of no count, now you have an account of righteousness. His wrath is satisfied. That day when Jesus was dying on the cross, in the middle of the day, the sky turned black. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. On that cross. And Jesus made a statement. He said, it is paid for. It is paid for. Tetelestai is the word. It is paid for. It is finished. Most translations say, it is finished. But it's a, it's a banker's term that means there was a debt that was owed. It's been paid. It's been paid. So when, when I disobey God now as a follower of Christ, and I mess up here and I say something I shouldn't say, do something I shouldn't say, I go to Jesus, it's all paid for. It's already paid for. What I'll do next year, paid for, paid for. So that's, that's hard to believe. I know. You know why it's hard to believe? Because unbelievers are teaching you what to believe. Believers believe what God says. Jesus said it's paid for. So that's too simple. Don't you have to do something for it? Wash your mouth out. Don't you ever say that again. You go to your room and think about what you said. Pay for it yourself. Well, if you could pay for it yourself, Jesus wouldn't have to come and die on the cross. 
You can't pay for it yourself. Propitiation, satisfaction of God's wrath. I'm so thankful that Jesus, our advocate, our paraclete, comes alongside of us and helps us along. Now, I want you to understand that God has made a way for you to find a great fellowship with Him. When you receive Christ as Lord of your life, you're justified. You're counted as if you've never sinned. Now you have, and there's scars in heaven to prove it. Jesus had his scars in his hands and his feet and on his side. Yeah, but as far as you're concerned, you're forgiven. Completely for as one black preacher said, justified, never sinned. Justified, never sin. I like the sound of that's justified, never sin. I like it. I love it, but it's not, it's not all. We're living in the land of sanctification now. You know what that is, the land of sanctification? You're looking at me like you don't know. The land of sanctification. From the time you're justified by God until the time you go to be with Jesus, and that's what we're living in right now, there's a process of sanctification. You're set apart by God. You belong to Him. You are one of His youngins. Yes, you are. And now every all the, the devil's kids can do whatever they want to do, but you can't. They'll just live like, well, they live like the devil. You can't get away with it. Because when you disobey God, the Holy Spirit convicts you. The Holy, God just begins to grab you and just, and you, oh, you feel so guilty. So why do I feel so guilty? Because you are. But that's not going to mess with your salvation. You're on your way to heaven. But before you get there, God is going to turn you every which way but loose. Because you're one of his kids. He won't let you get angry with somebody without feeling bad about it. He won't let you say anything you're not supposed to say without him saying something back to you from his word. And you feel guilty. Some of you come to church every Sunday and say, are you going to give it to us today? Are you going to really lay it on us today? Uh, somebody, I won't say who said it today, said, are you going to tell us we're sinners today? I said, yes, I am. <laughs> because we are. But we are the children of God. Just the children of Who would not want to know Jesus? Who would not want to embrace a Savior who loved us so much he gave himself for us? Who wouldn't do that? Who wouldn't want to know God for eternity? I, I don't really understand people who say they, they're not interested. Or they say, they're an a I'm an atheist. I say, <laughs> right. How did you get there? You weren't born that way. Romans 1 tells us that God has revealed himself in nature. You know of his invisible attributes by looking at creation. You already know there's a God and that he's, he's holy and just and, and, and loving and caring and merciful. His invisible attributes are known by every man, woman, boy, and girl born into the world. And from there you have to rebel and choose to become an atheist. Well, you ran away from home, didn't you? What's going on with you? And really, when you start to close your eyes in death, nobody there really to help you but God. Nobody but God. And you need help. You might remember your birthday, but you don't have your death day memorized. Because you don't know. You may think you're about to just check out any minute. 
And then 10 years later, here you are. It can happen. And God has his ways of doing things. You're not getting out of here until he says it's time. God's in the business of molding and shaping you into the character of Christ. Some conversations that I have with people will be something like this. I don't know why God has left me here on earth. Seemed like I'd have been gone a long time ago. <laughs> uh, I don't know either. But I can tell you this. God has a purpose for you. It could be because I'm a young preacher in this church. I was an old preacher in the church I came from. I'm just a young fellow here. Every, you know, average it out. I'm in the middle somewhere. But I'll tell you this. When you can't do anything else. Listen to what I'm saying. When you cannot do anything else, you can do the most important thing that you could ever do. You will always be able to do the most important thing that you could ever do. And that's pray. If you can pray, that's the most important thing you could ever do. So when I can't do the things I used to be able to do, I can't serve like I used to be able to serve. Oh, please serve by praying. By praying. By praying. And when you have all the energy in the world and all the strength in the world, if you're not praying, you're not doing the most important thing. So pray. Strongest people among us may appear to be the weakest people among us. It's the people who pray who are the strongest. Don't mess with them. God will get you. I don't know if you know about people who pray, but you better, you better pay attention to what God is doing in and through them because God is powerful. And that's one of the ways... Maybe God left you on this earth to encourage me, to help me. I need it. Maybe somebody in your life, God has brought into your life, you're the greatest encouragement to them. I'm just saying this is the way God works. And why? That was a sermon in a sermon right there. But I want you to know I'm thankful to God. He loved us so much, He paid the price for us. Now I'm going to say the shocking thing now. You were waiting for it. You forgot it, didn't you? Nobody, nobody goes to hell because of sin. As far as because they're sinners. Because they've done things in their lives they shouldn't do. Because sins have been paid for. Well, you're listening real careful now, aren't you? You go to hell because you reject the payment. Unbelief is the reason you end up in hell. Not because sins weren't paid for you. It won't count to your account because you won't accept the payment. You won't receive Christ. You reject God. Now that's sin, but it's not because of all the sins you've committed. It's because that one of unbelief. I refuse to receive Christ. I refuse to accept Jesus as Lord of my life. I reject God. He did the part that you needed. And the only part that you have to provide is belief, faith. And it's, sometimes it sounds so interesting. Oh, God, help me. Save me. Oh, God, I need you. Please help me. Save me. 
It's not the fancy prayer. It's the prayer from a heart that says, God, I need you. Now, if you're here today and you've never received Christ, and you may have discovered that in your life, and maybe everybody around you thinks you have. I don't know. You, this is a strange thing in the world of church life. Sometimes people think if they can fool me into thinking they're saved, they're okay. Really? I'm easy to fool. It's happened before. Well, I, I don't know. It's getting harder because I just don't believe anybody anymore. All of you are just as lost as you can be. I don't know about that. But, I, you know, it's, it's, you can't tell. You can fool me, but why would you want to fool me and die and end up in hell? What did you, what did you gain? There's a hell, just as sure as there's a heaven. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that. And so that's why I'm glad there's a payment for sin. I'm thankful to God that there's a payment for sin. I'm going to always ask you to do something. Always ask you. And if you bring friends to come visit in the services here, and I hope that you do, uh, bring them here. Bring them here. I will always explain how to know Christ. It's the most important thing that you'll ever know. And I always try to connect every part of the Bible to every other part of the Bible as, as we study through it. I'll do that. But this is the most important thing. And your friends may say, hey, you, you brought me to that church service. That preacher could tell me I'm going to hell. I said, oh, he tells everybody that. Every week. You're not alone. Because I love you. And I want you to know Christ. So if you haven't received Christ today, don't. Did I mention that I came to know Christ and thousands of people all around me in the Charlotte Coliseum one night? And I was somewhat introverted at the time. Boy, have I changed. But I got up out of my seat and walked all those steps all those steps to the front to talk to somebody who would help me. Tears flowing down my face. 16 years old, back in the 1970s, a 16-year-old boy crying in public. That's not a good sight. I didn't care. I needed to know Christ. And I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat and come forward here today. If you don't know Christ, I would like to pray with you. Show you how to pray and receive Jesus into your life. If that's where you are, I want to help you. So I'll be standing right here as we sing this invitation song. You come to Christ today. You come forward and invite Jesus to come into your life. And if you're here today, you feel led to come just to come to this front here and pray. You can do that where you are. You can bow your heads and pray. Pray. There are some commitments you need to make in your life. Because nobody in the room is perfect. I've been watching. You've got something in your life and you just can't shake. And you just can't, mm, it's just always a problem. You just surrender that to Christ. Say, Lord Jesus, help me today. And He will. He will help you. So stand together and let's sing this invitation song. And you come as God would lead you. And don't wait. Don't wait. You just come on and we'll pray together. And I'll share with you how you can know Christ. You come as God would lead you.